23rd chapter of Genesis, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you this cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron. And Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. The word of the Lord. So the site today... What occupies the site today is a mosque in the city of Hebron. But if you could, if you could go back almost 4,000 years to the hills and the fields and the villages in, in that part of, of uh, Palestine, you would come across this desirable plot of land uh, which contained a double cave in which was buried Sarah. And Sarah had lived a very long life, and she had been an immigrant for decades, as we've been following her and her husband Abraham, as they've walked 
with the God of the Bible. Uh, she lived in tents. She was a wealthy woman, but she was an alien for decades. And, and she was barren for decades. She carried that weight in an ancient culture, the shame of having no children. And, and she loved and respected and followed her husband. Uh, though a man of integrity, sometimes he had some, sometimes Abraham had some schemes. And sometimes those schemes jeopardized his dear wife, Sarah. And she put up with him and she stuck with him and she honored him. She's honored in the New Testament for honoring her husband. Um, when she was finally given a son, when she finally bore a son uh, through her own body, for a moment she thought uh, that she would lose him forever. Uh, but in, in all of that, God was faithful to her. Actually, Sarah is the only woman in the Bible who, who is given a date of years. Uh, just like the heads of clans who lived for so many years, Sarah's the only woman in the Bible uh, who is attributed uh, a span of time in years. She's the only one. She's the mother of all who are faithful. She's the first woman of faith in the Bible. And Abraham honored her. He honored her by mourning over her, and he honored her through an investment that he made in a plot of land. It's ironic, isn't it, that this couple's first legal claim to the land that God had promised them was Sarah's gravesite. Now, the mother of all who believe died a displaced traveler with no claim to anything but her own grave. Now, if, if you've lived away from your place of origin or your people of origin for a long time, um, I've, I've lived away from my place of origin for, well, it's been decades now, uh, and, and you, to a degree, a greater or less degree, can understand the feeling of, of just being somewhat displaced. You're, uh, you get accustomed to where you are. You get accustomed to the people uh, who surround you, but you never quite feel uh, like you belong there. Uh, decades ago, Neil Diamond sang these words, L.A.'s fine, but it ain't home. New York's home, but it ain't mine no more. That sense of feeling like, even if you were to go home, people have moved on. The place has moved on. The place has changed without you, and you go back, but it's not the same. And you do the best you can where you are. Sarah's God, the God that Sarah trusted throughout her life, is preparing, as Steve said to the children this morning, God is preparing a permanent home for anyone who will trust him, just like she learned to trust him. And one thing I want to share with you, based on Sarah and Abraham's witness upon her death, is for the Christian, for those who trust the God of the Bible, you have to hold on to this world loosely. Hold on to everything in this world loosely and learn how to cling to your future country. And today I want to briefly talk about investments. Abraham made an investment and likewise there are Christians, all Christians who have the faith of Abraham and the faith of Sarah. Christians should make investments also in the same manner. And then finally, I want to talk about God's investment. He made an investment too. So Abraham's investment, our investment, and God's investment. 
Now, Abraham made an investment that actually revealed his faith in the word of God. Abraham's investment reveals that he believed that God's words were true and were trustworthy. Now, I know at first glance, this seems a little unceremonious and disrespectful and sacrilegious that upon the death of the matriarch of Israel, read the account, look at the chapter. There's barely anything on Sarah. It's all about this land and haggling over the price of property. It seems a bit off to describe the woman's death in economic terms, negotiating land and price. Seems somewhat inappropriate at first glance uh, for Abraham to be negotiating property uh, after the death of his wife. Maybe bad timing, inappropriate timing, but that's not the case. Abraham, in a profound way, is staking a claim on his family's future. If you've been with us, following us through Genesis, you might remember what God initially said to Abraham when he called the couple out of Ur, of the the Chaldeans. God said to him, I will make of you a great nation. And he also said to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham and Sarah, they know that somehow through them and through their descendants, God had a plan to bless all of humanity. Now, for that to happen, for Abraham and Sarah to become a great nation, they need a place, don't they? They need a place where their descendants can prosper, can multiply. And so you might also remember from Genesis chapter 13, after Abraham and his nephew Lot separated and went their separate ways, God took Abraham in the land of Canaan and said to him, I want you to see all the land All around you. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. God had said this to Abraham decades before Sarah died. And this is why, see, Abraham remembers these words, and this is why Abraham insists that the Hittites sell him the burial site. Okay? Notice, notice their shrewdness. Now, the Hittites are from what you would call Turkey now. Uh, apparently, uh, there's a settle- there, were a, there, was a, there was a settlement of Hittites living in Canaan. They were established. They had been there for probably centuries because they owned land. You couldn't own land as a foreigner in the time. But the Hittites had settled in Canaan. They owned land and... and Abraham says, look, may I please buy a cave uh, for, my, for my wife's body? And look how shrewd they are. They, they say, hey, you're, you're like a prince among us. They had a lot of respect for him. If you remember decades before, uh, Abraham had, uh, through a military campaign, basically saved the whole region. Uh, so they know they have to defer to this alien, to this refuge, to this stranger. They know that, but, but they're shrewd. They say, what, what? Come on, what are you talking about? Just, just have, have the spot. Take the grave. Oh, I really want to buy it. No, what, buy it? What are you kidding? What are you talking about? Take it. We give it to you. Take the burial site. Just take it. They don't want a foreigner. They don't want a foreigner owning any land around them. See, if they just give the cave to him as a gift, he can't claim ownership of it. 
Abraham is equally as shrewd because he he does not want to be indebted to anybody. So Abraham says, look, guys, in all respect, I want to pay the full price of what the cave and the land around it is worth. And so finally, they sell it to him. And although the passage reads like a story, you'll notice that it includes specific details of contract negotiations. Specific contract details. For instance, look at verses 17 and 18. A woman has just died. A very important woman in the Bible story has just died. And this is what we're reading about. Look at the details. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees, man, even the trees, okay. All the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. Why such detail when all you really want to do is read about Sarah and her life and how Abraham and Isaac were mourning the death of their loved one and and you're dealing with contract details. Here's why. Because the first recipients of the book of Genesis were Abraham's and Sarah's ancestors. The first recipients of the book of Genesis were liberated slaves. This would happen Centuries later, liberated slaves who needed to understand their heritage, who needed to understand where they came from, who they came from, who needed a corporate sense of identity as they became wanderers for decades before they would inherit this very land that Abraham uh, is standing on over the grave of his wife. Abraham and Sarah, and if you keep reading in Genesis, you'll discover that their son Isaac and his wife Rebecca and their grandson Jacob and Leah are all buried there. They're all buried at this site. So Abraham, in his grief, check this out, Abraham in his grief is not motivated by grief. Abraham in his grief is motivated by faith. The Bible doesn't discount grief and mourning, and trouble, and suffering. It doesn't discount it, but you see people of faith not being motivated by what they suffer. Through their suffer, they're still motivated by the promises of God. And you see that here with Abraham. The purchase was more than just a necessity. It was more than just a need to bury his wife. The purchase was a witness. The grave and the land around it, it's a witness. A witness to what? To the fact that Abraham believed that his ancestors would inherit, that his descendants would inherit the land. The burial site is a witness that God's promises come true. That although his descendants would someday inherit and he had nothing, not a piece to his name, not a plot of land to his name, the very burial site where he would lay his wife is finally his. Now I want to put aside for a second the concept, the status of land ownership, something physically tangible like like earth and stone, and trees, and fields, or bank accounts. Okay, let's put aside the temporary status of land ownership and the likes of it, and let's refocus on the permanent status of our souls. Let's make a shift here from tangible and temporary to permanent and intangible. Every believer, everyone who trusts in this God uh, that we read about in the book of Genesis... 
should likewise invest in their future. Through the plot of land where he could bury his wife, Abraham was investing in his future. And if you're a Christian, you should be doing the same. You should be investing in your future. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Look at verse 4. Abraham says to the Hittites when he approaches them, uh, respectfully says to them, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. That's the Christian life. If you're a Christian, the Bible tells you that you are always a traveler, that you are always an immigrant in this world, regardless of how comfortable you feel where you are right now. I, I am embracing Westminster and I am embracing Carroll County, but I haven't lived at home uh, meaning where I'm from, the people I know the most, the land and the environment and the, the cultures, uh, the customs that I'm most comfortable with for decades. Uh, some of you were probably born and raised here, and so maybe that hasn't been your experience. Regardless of what our experience is in this life, the Bible tells you that if you trust in this God, you are always, you are always a displaced alien in this world. The Apostle Peter, when he addressed Christians in his first letter, addressed them in this way, to those who are elect exiles. He went on to tell them that they had an amazing inheritance, but it wasn't a field with trees and a graveside, and it wasn't a, port a stock portfolio. He said that their inheritance was imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And check this out. He said to them that their inheritance was kept in heaven for you. That this amazing thing that belongs to you is actually kept in heaven for you by God. And Peter went on to write in 1 Peter chapter 1 that this amazing inheritance, this proof of your salvation... This proof of your eternal life and your reconciliation with God is actually something in which you rejoice. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So faith helps us to hold the things of this world loosely. The things, the traditions, the assets, and the people of this world loosely. Your possessions your investments, your asset, your financial investments, your accomplishments, your reputation, the things and the systems that you have built, whether it's a job you've designed for yourself or whether it's a hobby uh, that you enjoy and you're proud of, your accomplishments, even your politics, even your civil rights. Hold them all loosely. Hold them loosely. Your trials are a gift. Your trials are a gift because your trials help you loosen this grip on all of these things. And I think that only suffering convinces you that you have to start letting go of the things in this world. C.S. Lewis said something like that. Uh, Lewis said that suffering, adversity, nurtures in us a contempt for this world and a longing for our heavenly country. Now you may be thinking, hold on a second. Hold on a second because Abraham and his descendants did own land. 
Here's the beginning of it. And it would only increase into an entire geographic and civil nation for centuries upon centuries. So hold on. The promises of God must have something to do with dirt and property and money. Well, only for a time. It was only for a time. God took all of that away from Abraham's descendants, didn't he? Because as you discover in the New Testament, God in his promises to Abraham and Sarah was talking about something far more permanent and meaningful than dirt and stone and political entities. The author of Hebrews talked about Abraham and Sarah this way. Hebrews chapter 11 These all, and he's talking about the patriarchs, Abraham and Sarah and their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Hebrews says, all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland, but the author of Hebrews Uh, goes further, he clarifies the homeland that they were seeking. He says, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. The things that you are going to lose when you die, even if you're young and you feel really healthy, it's coming. The things you will lose when you die. Friends, hold them loosely. Many of them are wonderful things that are good. But hold them loosely and cling on to what you cannot lose. I want to encourage you to not be afraid of nurturing within yourself a healthy dislike for this world. Not an arrogant dislike for this world. Don't be a jerk about it. A healthy, respectful dislike for this world, for its systems, and for its priorities. And rather begin to nurture, invest in your future home. And what God is preparing for you when you do lose all the tangible things here. What are you investing in? Think about it. I want you to think about it today. Let's think about it this week. What are you investing in? What are your investments right now? They don't have to be financial. Maybe they are. (laughs) What are your investments? What are you pouring yourself into hoping to get some type of a return later? Maybe it's something physical or financial. Maybe it's a relational thing. What are you pouring yourself into hoping that later on you'll get some type of a return or your descendants we'll get some type of a return. Are we investing and are we teaching our children and grandchildren to invest in what is incorruptible, to what is unfading, to what is ultimate? Or are we teaching the young ones and practicing ourselves a a process in which, a habit in which we are basically investing in what works for us right now in the next few decades or what what works for the next couple of generations within our family. Just ask yourself that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 
Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and dust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus is not saying you can't have a retirement account. You can't have a 401k. You can't buy a house. You can't speak up for your civil rights. He's not saying anything like that. He is saying, check where your heart is. Because your home is where your heart is. And if your home, if your heart, rather, is in these things, you will lose your home. Your heart needs to be in something, in a home that cannot perish when you do. That cannot perish when tyranny reigns over your, your government. That cannot perish when you lose a child. Or when your relationship falls apart. That cannot perish when you lose your job. Or when plans don't work out as you hoped they would. I think Jesus is making a, a, a very important point here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the thing. You care more about politics as Americans than you do about your heavenly country. That's what he's saying. Do you care so much about your civil rights as Americans? And I know they are so important, but the whole society is arguing over politics. And we have been for the last 200 years. But social media and television are just making it so visceral, aren't they? So that even Christians who disagree about politics and social issues, we can't stand each other. We say nasty things about each other on Facebook and on Twitter. But don't you see? Don't you see that our hearts are in the wrong place? That's why we're getting so angry with one another. Jesus is saying your heart is in the wrong place. You've made the wrong type of home. You've made a home that will perish. Put your heart in things that cannot perish. Do you know that God has invested in you? God has made an eternal investment in each of you who call yourself a follower of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples the night before he died, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe, in all, be, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. And I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Humanity's heart may not be set on God, but oh, it is so obvious when you read the Bible that God's heart is set on humanity. God's heart is set on you. He has made an investment in you before you were even born. Why go through all the trouble? Why did he go through all the trouble? Why did Jesus put himself through all the trouble if he were not completely invested in you? I took this picture yesterday afternoon after, after the rains left. This is from my front yard. Uh, looking across the street, there was a double rainbow. Um, and, and you can see on the left of this picture, uh, this new house, this is new construction uh, that's been kind of invading our street. Uh, for the last nine or ten months. Uh, it doesn't matter what time of the day. If it's light out, I hear machines humming and, and, and hammers clanking away. Um, the street's been ripped up many times so that this house across the street from me 
uh, can go up and it's almost ready. Now, here's the thing. None of that is possible. All the digging up of the dirt and the laying of the foundation and, and the hammering of the nails and the building of the, of the frame and the trusses and finally the shingles and paving the driveway and putting in all the bushes and all this stuff. None of it would have been possible without an investment, right? There has to be an investment before any of this stuff becomes visible. Before anyone can move into the new house, there has to at some point have been an investment at some point a deed to the land had to have been purchased, right? So the edifice, the structure itself being built and being completed is proof that at some point previously, somebody paid for the deed. Yeah? Okay, so Christ's deed for the home that he's preparing for you is his own blood. That's the investment. The proof that Jesus is building a place for you that will not fade, that is imperishable, is the deed of his own blood. That's the purchase he made. That's the investment. That's the investment that gives you hope. That's the investment that will keep your soul alive and will renew your body when Jesus returns. You have a deed too. You have a copy of the deed. If you're a Christian... Your copy of the deed, according to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, is the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelling you, living inside you, convincing you that you are a daughter or a son of the living God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul wrote, while we are in this tent, he means this body, while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling." So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The Bible is not saying that the physical creation is bad. No, Paul is saying our physical bodies are are kind of rancid and decaying right now. And we want the final thing. We want our real bodies, our perfected bodies, along with our soul, our spiritual bodies. And Paul went on to say, now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit. The Greek word there is down payment. As a deposit, the spirit as a down payment guaranteeing what is to come. So God has the deed. It's the blood of Christ. And he's preparing a place for you that cannot spoil or perish or fade. And the deed has a copy and it's inside of you. It is the spirit of God. Are you listening to him? Do you believe him when he says to you, you are a child of your creator? And that status was bought with the blood of my son. And nothing is ever going to change that. This is where we begin, my friends, to start holding on to this world less. Hold it loosely. The things you're investing in, practically speaking, fine. Maybe they're good ideas. Keep investing. Keep committing yourself to the things you have to do in this world and in this life. But hold it all loosely, man. Hold it loosely. And start clinging on to what Jesus says you cannot lose. Invest in your future. Let's pray. Father, we we, we need faith. Uh, We need faith to know uh, that we can invest in things that are tangible. And yet not give our hearts to them. As though we can drag them into the grave with us. I pray that you would teach us 
how to have a respectful dislike for this world, to truly groan at what we see and what we hear and what we experience and yet hope for our future as Abraham did. Father, even in our sickness, even in our dying, even in how we manage our conflict, even as we watch what's happening in the news uh, and in our community, Father, give us a longing for our heavenly country. In Christ's name, amen.